You're listening to I Spy. My name is Michelle Stevenson. I'm here with David Callan. And this week we have a special guest. And I don't know who's more excited about it. Me. Maybe David? Me. Yeah? Totally. You are? It's okay. always me. I'm always excited when there's someone else to talk to. I, yeah, I'm excited there's someone else to talk to. Believe exactly. me. I mean, of course you are. Um, and because today we're talking about climate change. Okay. You're listening to I Spy, the carbon credit of Australian intelligence. What, what, what's going on? Yeah, it's looking great. <laughs> okay, can I have a hit? Right now, everyone might say, climate change, what's that got to do with spies and espionage and intelligence and all that sort of thing? It's a big yep. issue. So we decided really? to get in one of the experts on this area, uh, renowned experts. around the world for his knowledge <laughs> and what he does. I would like to welcome to the podcast, Dan Illick. Good to be with you. Thanks for having me. I am an expert. Are you? Um, because there is a, I can tell you, yeah. there's a website that ranks all the climate tweeters mm-hmm. uh, and, and how they are in like the power tweeting ranking yep. when it comes to tweeting about climate change. And I am 10th on that list of all the people in the world just under Elon Musk and just above. <laughs> Above Greta Thunberg. Oh, so you're there above you go. Greta yeah, Thunberg. How did you manage How that? <laughs> That's crazy. What? And yeah, I don't. I know, it's crazy. That's insane to me. And what about like all the other, like Al Gore and like all the other hard and steadfast, you know, climate change tweeters? Was it? Was he, he like Al Gore is 28th on this list. Oh, 20 on there the list. Go. Okay, so, there you go. Yeah, Al Gore's 20. Michael Mann is 32. Shell is 33. At least Shell. I'm beating Shell. Yeah. Like, I think <laughs> I'm, I'm probably tweeting more information, more factual information about climate change than Shell is. Yeah, I couldn't even imagine what Shell's tweeting. Yeah, I kind of think that that's a fairly easy bar to sort of like clear, yep. tweeting more true information about it. Now, look, what I want to talk about today is the security impact of climate change, because yep. we all know, you know, we're worried about the fact that there's going to be droughts and there's going to be floods and there's going to be rising sea levels. I mean, for me, I, rising sea levels isn't a problem. I'll probably wind up living on this wonderful place we'll call Vaucluse Island. But essentially, there is a huge climate threat to security. Yeah. Dan, just to just sort of clear some uh, things, what is a perspective sort of, what are we looking at for climate change here uh, with sea level rising and things like that? Sort of stats. How much is it going to go up? <laughs> Coming with the stats, Dan. Uh, well, the stats, the, stat, the stats are, are pretty boring, but what is going to happen are people, people are losing their homes yeah. um, and people are losing their homes all around Australia and also very close to us, our Pacific neighbours. Mm-hmm. So already you're seeing Torres Strait Islanders who are having to make contingency plans to move their entire culture out of the Torres Strait onto the mainland and then they no longer become Torres Strait Islanders. Mm. They become people from the mainland and that ruins their entire their entire race, their entire culture. Yeah. Um, but outside of that, you've in terms of security and, and security risk, you've kind of got every other Pacific island nation who are going to be desperate to find homes and place to, places to live. So all around us is the immediate threat of huge amounts of human people wanting new places to live. Yeah. So yeah. that is that is an extremely when we're talking about sea level rise, that is a, a huge security risk for Australia and our and, and our defence force. Not only are our defence force already significantly overstretched when it comes to uh, tackling climate disasters and mopping up after climate disasters as we saw in the bushfires in 2020, mm-hmm. but they've been deployed about 
20 times in the last five years, mopping up disasters all around the Pacific, Indonesia, Papua New Guinea, Vanuatu, Fiji, Solomon Islands, Cook Islands. These are these are places where our defence uh, take their eye off the ball of real security matters to go and help other folks. And that's, you know, it's pretty tricky to kind of to weigh up. Climate disasters are a huge security risk for Australia. To give you an example of what a climate disaster can cause. Now, uh, we actually have a couple of examples already in our, like, in our history, in our recent history. One was the Arab Spring, right? So all the revolutions that happened all through those Islamic states, particularly in North Africa, not so mm-hmm. successful in, in the Middle East, but in North Africa, that was pretty much put down to the fact that China and Russia were going through a drought. And because they were going through a drought, they weren't producing as much rice and grain. Therefore, they couldn't export it to those countries. Therefore, people were basically starving got pissed off with their governments and decided to rebel, all right? The other mm. example, and this is, for me, this, the, stati- the statistics that come out of this one was Syria. Now, Syria went through an unprecedented drought. Everybody in the, in the rural areas moved to the cities, had no work, had no food, Bingo, you've got a, uh, a rebellion again, which is still ongoing. There's a civil war going on. Yeah, there. I mean, that Syria was so interesting because it was a bunch of farmers' kids yeah. that were skylarking in the middle of the city and the soldiers were cracking down on them and because the soldiers cracked down on a bunch of farmers kids who were kind of running around the city who were homeless and just you know had nothing to do because they were off their farms off their own uh, off their own properties Mm -hmm. that instant that little moment is the whole moment the syrian civil war the most recent one kicked off. um completely kicked off now um, so that you know it, this is a real this is a re- climate change is going to see more of these things happen and now the other thing that came out of this was the kick on from syria now just beyond the fact that russia now has a foothold in the middle east and the americans got kicked out or uh, sorry uh, donald took them home all that sort of stuff the population of syria before the civil war broke out was 22 and a half million thereabouts it's currently down to about 17 and a half million now they weren't all killed oh my. most of them went to europe they, there was all of that footage of people trying to get into greece uh, you know landing and then literally walking through hungary and stuff like that that destabilized the eu and a lot of people regard that as one of the reasons why the uk chose to brexit right we have brexit so essentially a little event that occurred because of a climate issue in one country has had a knock-on effect that's walked right through Europe. So this is mm. the thing we've got to deal with. Now, that's a fairly small little country, 22, 22.5 million. Not a bad thing to worry about, right? You know, it's a, it's a little one. It's not that big. Now, we have a little issue that's slightly larger, and it's called the Maritime Southeast Asia, which has a population of about half a billion. We're talking Indonesia, the Philippines... Coastal Thailand, Vietnam, Cambodia, all of that little area, as that water starts to rise, they're going to be looking for somewhere to go. And there's this huge country just to the south that is flat, empty, and doesn't have a lot of people in it. And can you guess the name of that little country? Um, Antarctica. That's the one. They're all going to move down there and get into the ice. Makes sense. Makes sense. Look, this whole idea of climate displacement really has been an issue for a very long time. And Mm. I think now we're just seeing the fallout and the repercussions from it. And I don't think that countries like Australia and Australian governments will take it seriously until it actually really affects us. At this point in time, we see more money in mining. We see more money Mm. in all the things that we're, we're doing that help contribute to climate change. But we're not seeing the very real fallout from it and displacement 
displacement is a big fallout until those people start needing somewhere to live and start looking towards Australia as a country that essentially they should be in, then we're not really going to change anything. Yeah, essentially, and this is the the point that's being made by a lot of scientists, is the, the situation that's going on. The heating oceans, as the oceans warm, the fish around the, the tropics are going to move mm. south, right? We're going to have the degradation of coral reefs. We've already seen that in, mm. um, up in Queensland. But as it gets warmer, the fish move south. That means the fishermen aren't going to be bringing as much stock in. That's the one of the major f- sources of protein for the maritime Southeast Asia. And then soybean protein, which is the other major source of protein, it's also going to get knocked around by climate change as well. So the big issue we've got is, you know, Great, Sydney's going to become tropical, but and you know the fish are going to move down to around our coastline. But the problem being is the people that want it are going to come with it. Now the other thing is, as you said, our government isn't taking it seriously. Interestingly enough, when Joe Biden got into office, he has made climate change uh, a critical part of the decision making process for every government department in the US, right? And in fact, just I think it was October last year. No, it was October this year. The DoD sent out their little flyer, <laughs> they sent out their thing, the the Department of Defence Climate Risk Analysis. So DOD have got their climate risk analysis paper out and basically it says this is a massive problem. Now, the interesting thing is there's not a lot about mitigation in there. It's all about resilience. They're not looking at, like DOD and it'd be the same in Australia, DOD and our intelligence services understand the risk, but their job isn't to actually mitigate the risk. Their job is to work out how to to be able to act inside that threat portfolio. So this is the problem we've got. The Americans, they, they want to do something about it, but they can't, right? The, the DOD can't. In Australia, it's a totally different story. There's a great article that came out where Cheryl Durant, who was the climate specialist for the DOD, was told not to use the words climate change in any of her reports. Despite the fact that it was her job to talk about how Australia, how Australian defence and security respond to it, she was told yeah. not to use it, right? Not to use climate change. Can you guess why the words from the DOD were simply politically unacceptable? Right? <laughs> That's the new enemy. We've got to, we've got to fight climate change. Yeah. You've got to fight fire with firefighters. Exactly, right? <laughs> now, in the security sphere... This is the big problem. I mean, you know, Indonesia, that's a population of 225 million, and that is one of the countries most at threat in the world. I mean, we look at, we certainly look at things like the Pacific Islands, they're in a a great deal of threat, but Indonesia itself, that's 225 million people. And let's say uh, uh, like 10% of the threatened coastline on the planet is Indonesia. But Indonesia is also doing the deforestation. Um, They've got like massive issues with just them burning hundreds of hectares. And I remember when I was a few years back when I was over over in that area and just the, the smoke the from smoke, the bushfires. Yeah. When I was in Malaysia, you could see the, mm. the smoke from the bushfires just permeating everywhere just because yeah. of the deforestation. Now, okay, I mean, there is that point that, okay, what Indonesia are actually doing themselves isn't helping, but... Well, yeah, I mean, we've got to really have an understanding that a lot of these countries don't have an understanding of what even recycling is, like, or, or how to even tackle climate change in their own backyard. 
Which brings us to the great point of the other main security issue coming out of climate change is the fact that it's the impoverished nations that are going to be of great concern because they Mm -hmm. don't have these programs in place. Their people are impoverished. And on top of that, as soon as these nations destabilise, that's when other nations can start using these failed states or destabilised states as proxies or they can use it as as land grabs. I mean, the interesting point is someone said... I, for one, am looking forward to the day when Australia invades New Zealand. Um, there's some great property there that... Um, yeah, the, I mean, I think we're, we've always been open to the idea of invading New Zealand. It's just no one wants to go. Oh, <laughs> you know, well, they've got a really good film industry, better than ours. Um, I mean, I love it, but, like, no one really wants to move there. Oh, God, man. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's good skiing. Oh, well. Dan hasn't right. left his bunker for two years. <laughs> it won't be good skiing anymore, will it, really? Because of climate change, everything's going to melt. Yeah, right. there's no skiing there now. Isn't there? No, there is. Of course there is. It's a joke, mate. Oh, I wish you hadn't said that because that could have then gone, holy shit, it's moving even faster than I thought. Right, yeah. so uh, essentially there's the, an interesting thing and it came out of the Department of Defence climate risk analysis mm. was one of the things they're worried about, really worried about, is the fact that with changing rainfalls, rivers are going to change. Now, rivers are borders, mm. right? So say the Mekong River, the Nile River, all of these rivers, as they change, these countries are going to go, well, the river's moved over there and the borders is the river is the border, therefore we've gained this land. This is going to, again, mm. particularly in places like Africa, it's going to destabilise the political situation and we're going to be the ones that have to kind of correct this. Now, this, again, comes down to the fact is, stop burning coal, stop burning oil, put a solar panel up and basically start paying attention and taking the issue seriously. Dan, when the government talks about newfangled technology, what sort of newfangled technology might they be talking about? Well, they're talking about real kind of hypothetical modern art pieces like carbon capture storage, which is essentially a sphincter in the ground yep. Ooh, uh, nice. for gas. And they're talking about, you know, technology like that. Yeah. So it's like technology they've already poured billions and billions of dollars into that hasn't really reliably worked anywhere around the world and they're still pinning hopes on it. This is kind of in stuff like clean coal as well. It's a whole bunch of technology that will allow them to will allow Australia to keep exporting fossil fuels to keep burning huge amounts of fossil fuels, mm-hmm. but also mitigating the emissions by saying they're going to capture an X, X amount. But unfortunately, those technologies, the technology in this whole technology, not taxes kind of lie, doesn't actually exist or work. No. So that's that's kind of the issue there. So this is, it's a real, it's a real strange kind of thing. There is technology to lower emissions and it's called renewable energy. Um, there is technology to get rid of emissions out of households and it's called electricity. And um, you can replace everything that is gas with heat pumps and induction and um, you can uh, make grids into, turn grids into smart grids and put batteries on, on every pole in, in Australia. Yep. And turn turn the suburbs into generation into you know generative um, sources of electricity and turn your cars into batteries to run your houses and things like that. I think as well. the the, the, so, the issue being is really we're trying to do we're trying to make a magic pudding out of this, or at least our government is trying to create a magic pudding where no one gets hurt, right? And the problem really is we're all going to get hurt. We're all going to get financially hurt, and you know what? We should actually accept the fact that there is the potential 
two correct. There, there, Dave, there, there, there's actually a huge crossing over point, and that is in the next two to three years. Yeah. So technology for batteries in particular are dropping so fast mm. that by 2025, batteries, it's going to be like if you are a, a middle-class Australian and you don't have a battery on your house, you'd be mad not to get one yeah. by about 2025 because the cost of batteries will just plummet. Yeah. And so you've kind of got this amazing tipping point which is happening right now. Mm. So when it comes to that kind of energy, domestic settings, which makes up about 30% of emissions for Australia, that is uh, re- ready to change. Like we can turn our uh, castles into electrified castles. What the problem is right now is our, our, main, our main competitive advantage when it comes to economy is that our economy has been built and has been bolstered by the government and is uh, subsidised hugely Mm. by the government is just around fossil fuel extraction and exporting. And to give you an idea, like to put it into like perspective, you know, people always say, oh, but Dan, we're only like 1.3% of emissions, Dan. What are you going to do? You're going to make some jokes about China and India too, Dan? You're going to do that? Mm. I'm like, yeah, I can. I can make jokes about China and India because the gas and the cost, the coal that they that we export goes to China and goes to India and actually has a tangible effect in the sky. So recently I've been running this huge campaign to get billboards around the world to shame the Australian government into kind of taking more climate action, uh, including a gigantic one in Times Square. And my friend from Korea, Joe, um, he reached out to say g'day and he he saw this happening. He said, a side note, Korea has had the best air quality in six to seven years over the last few months due to the Australia versus China conflict situation. Oh, wow. I always had reservations when fully blaming China for our air quality. It turns out it was 100% them. I know it's not the best situation for my Aussie friends, but it's been a true blessing for us to be able to breathe well. This is my friend Joe in Seoul, mm. and then sent me this incredible picture of his blue skies wow. in Seoul. If you've ever been to Seoul, uh, I've been there a few times, I've never seen blue sky in Seoul. I've only seen it look like London. And that's yeah. how coal, Australian coal, is in the air Yep. in China and in India, mm-hmm. and we need to be responsible for that. And we no- need to acknowledge that, that mo- those molecules shouldn't be dug up and should remain in the ground yeah. if we're going to do anything. Well, also there's this whole idea of us digging it up and shipping it overseas, but then kind of cheating ourselves out of the usage of it, like gas in particular. We've <laughs> we've sold it to everyone else at, at, at a very low price point. Yeah, and- Shell, this is the... We're, this is the craziest thing. I know. We're, we, we're paying we so expo- much money for it. <laughs> I don't know if you know what happens to our gas. Our gas goes on a boat yep. in Gorgon in Western Australia and then gets shipped to Japan. It gets offloaded in Japan and then gets re-put on a boat and and brought back into the east coast of Australia. It's so weird. <laughs> and then we pay, and we pay double for it. Yeah. So it's just, it's like I don't understand. People don't understand how crazy the whole situation is and how the government has done us out of like having and owning the the natural resources that we have and we should be using ourselves. So instead of selling it off to a uh price... Uh, selling like uh, Howard made that gas deal, mm. and then um, Rudd government tried to get that super mining profits tax in, which was to enable us to move to a cleaner yep. uh, renewable energy economy sooner. Then Abbott got in and axed that tax. So, uh, or Gillard got in and axed that tax rather. So, what we're seeing is constant, constant battle over the last fifteen years, where good idea gets killed, good idea gets killed, good mm. idea comes up and gets killed in a cycle of about twenty three times, and it's it, the whiplash is exhausting. Do you think? though that we have reached a point now where people aren't so flippant in allowing governments to kind of brush the climate conversation under the rug? Uh, I think so. I think what you're going to see this election coming up is a real Mm. hard race run by 
conservatives in conservative seats mm. against climate independents who will also be quite socially conservative but incredibly progressive when it comes to the environment. So I think that's super exciting. So all the folks like you know Simon Holmes of Court C200 and your Kylie Tinks and, and people like that um, who are running uh, conservative independents in conservative seats but are centred around not only a federal ICAC but a uh, but climate action and that's going to be super interesting and at this moment this is so this is what's so exciting about this election coming up it is one of not only is this election coming up one of the most important elections in the history of the world mm -hmm. <laughs> because it'll determine just how many gigatons of coal get shipped up and exported and, and sent around the world and be burned to our skies but it is a very important one for Australia this one could actually provide a short circuit for fossil fuel donations to the two major parties. So where we're at now is the two major parties, both Liberal and Labor, they get paid about the same amount of money from the big fossil fuel companies, your mm. Santoses, your Chevrons. They pay them about the same amount. Mm. Uh, but also when you look at the lower house, the only the, there's only one seat in it for the Liberal Party in terms of having the majority. So if there's two or three climate independents that take away seats from either Labor or Liberal, what you'll have is a position where both major parties will be forced into minority government and will be forced, in order to get supply, pass serious, meaningful climate action, and then we can short-circuit the, the, the fossil fuels. And I think that's so exciting to me right sounds now. Sounds like Hopeful. utopia. I mean, that as well. I mean, it, it sounds like, it sounds, Michelle, you say that sounds like utopia. Yeah. How many seats How many seats does the Liberal Party have in the lower house that they're, that they're leading by? No, no, not much at all. Yeah, One. I know. One. It's just the whole idea that there would be, I think it was more the whole idea that there'll be meaningful climate change debate. Like, I think that. Uh, yeah, but he, but the thing is, you can you can do it if you get rid of fossil fuel funded parties. 100%. You can do it, and that all all you need is right now. If everything was to roll the same as the last election, two yep. seats. Yeah. You just need two seats. So it's really exciting. Yeah. I'm excited. <laughs> I can tell. Personally, I think it'd be a great idea to get, to get it on the table because at the moment we have a Department of Defence that is facing real, real problems. Our security is at threat because, you know, it, it may not sound like much to most people, but the hang time for a fixed wing or rotary aircraft is vastly <laughs> reduced because of the uh, rising temperature. Right, there's things like that. Naval operations. If you're going into storms, it's very hard to resupply a naval flotilla at sea if it's under stress because mm. of weather conditions. And weather conditions are not improving. the The great thing was there was a a very interesting thing that was sent by our friend Neil Fergus. He, I was talking to him about it in Queensland. Out of the 77 LGAs up there, the local government areas, 53 have experienced three or more major disasters in the last three years. So what used to be that once-in-a-century a event is becoming a once-in-a-decade event and is soon to become a once-a-year event. So this is the problem we have. It's something we need to address because our domestic security is threatened by it, our, our international security is threatened by it, and we have a, we have a very boutique little defence um, department. <laughs> it's a small army for a big country, not a big population, but a big landmass. And the fact is, if it's being overstretched trying to deal with things like coastal flooding in Australia or around our neighbours, this is a thing that's going to take us away. It undermines our security. So climate change isn't something that you can just brush off as being a lefty issue, as a lot of people like to think so. It's an issue that affects absolutely everybody in the country from uh, even if you're living on the top of a mountain, your security is at threat.
Yep. And speaking of security at threat, if you're in the Liberal National Party, your security is at threat too because more, more Australians than ever mm. want our government to do more on climate action. It's 70% the latest poll from ACF. Like, incredible survey they ran two months ago. And you can see as soon as that survey landed, you saw the uh, the, the rhetoric from your Dave Sharmas and your, your Trent Zimmermans and your Jason Falinski's oh. suddenly changed. It's like they went from, oh, we don't need a tw- tw- net, net zero by 2050 to, oh, we care deeply about climate change. And then they <laughs> voted against Daly Stegall talking about it in Parliament. So, yeah, well, we, we do have an issue which we have a, you know, there is vested interest that is blocking a lot of the stuff that needs to be done. Just a quick question, though, just a quick question. What, what are the thoughts on nuclear energy? Because I know there's a, a lot of conversations about nuclear and nuclear power being like a clean yeah. energy and a clean power and why do we not, specifically because, you know, our resources. The only thing that nuclear energy has against it is cost. Yeah. Um, yeah. So for for the same amount of price of one nuclear thing, you can get gigawatts and gigawatts and gigawatts of renewable power. See, that's power so interesting. So, is so it the, the, the pundits who fully support nuclear energy would probably be those same people who'd be so against renewables, but would have yeah, no idea about it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Because, because, they, because Australia, I don't know if you realise, <laughs> is actually run by people who dig shit up and yeah. send it overseas. Yeah. yeah. That's, so that's who Australia is run by? I don't. Did, did we. I I thought we covered yeah, this. Yeah, we yeah. did. So, we did. so there's no benefit. No one owns the sun. No one owns the wind. So there's absolutely you no. Benefit. I'm not going to make a problem. Now, the interesting. But thing let is- me tell you. Let me tell you. There is a serious. There is a serious opportunity mm. here, though. I don't know if you've heard this incredible project called Sun Cable out in out in Darwin. This is a gigantic solar array that is sending electricity offshore through uh, high density uh, voltage cables mm. from Darwin through the waters of Indonesia to Singapore. Singapore is going to buy electricity, is going to buy sunshine from Australia. That's what's happening. That's being built. That has been all approved. Um, uh, Indonesia signed off on it just three weeks ago. And that is the opportunity here. The opportunity is to not be a 100% renewable country, which is a great goal. Mm. The opportunity to, is to be an 800% renewable yep. country, to ship our sunshine, to ship our wind uh, in the form of ammonium, hydrogen overseas. So replace gas with hydrogen. And we've got an incredible export opportunity. We are the perfect- My brother and I, one night, sitting there drinking uh, a bottle of whiskey, um, we came up with it. Our plan was if we were going to run for parliament, our plan would be... Everyone's going to take a slight economic bath for 10 years while we basically solar up every building in the country, right? Place these panels on every roof. So, again... That's that's happening, mate. You don't... We don't need... There is no pain point. Really? We just need to move. But I, I, <laughs> yeah, no, no. I had a friend who had a startup and it was solar and basically he was selling solar panels to put in roofs like so apartment blocks would have them and then whoever owned the apartment block would then sell the electricity to the owner of um, or the, per- the person who was residing in that apartment even though they may have owned the apartment and owned the electricity. So, it became like... Like this whole profitable situation, but also you know clean energy, but it just it just didn't work. And the big the big gas companies were trying to buy him because you know all of a sudden they they get very threatened by things that might be might seem a little bit better for the environment and might be cheaper to run. So it's just I think commercially we've got a real issue as well. And I think it's not just governments; it's commercial entities that really need to come together. Oh, definitely. It's definitely it's a commercial issue, um, simply on the point, as uh, Dan said, no one owns the sun. I mean, I love the fact that there's a lot of research going into fusion. 
reaction as a power source. Well, there is a massive fusion reactor and it's only eight and a half light minutes away and it shines on us every day and we should be harvesting all of it. We've got a massive flat continent. Most of it is desert. It gets lots of sunshine. And yet Germany, I think, is outstripping us for solar power. And Germany is not like Australia. The Germans are great at environmental stuff. Like, they're, vi- yeah. they're across it. There's a real opportunity for community-owned power mm. right now. So I don't know if you've ever heard of the, uh, the Hepburn Community Wind Farm in Victoria. This is an incredible... Uh, system where they where they bought two wind farms uh, back in uh, I can't remember I think like 2010 they they bought like their first wind mm-hmm. farm for 9.8 million dollars 2,000 local investors who lived around Hepburn Springs all chipped in nine million dollars and then some other government grants came in as well and they are they own two wind turbines that they own the community owns the residents That's amazing. own and they they are an exporter of energy to other towns and to the grid. Um, and the, the entire town is off, is is powered by these. So it's, it has its own grid. Like, yeah, yeah. And they ha- and so it's totally amazing. Like we mentioned about solar on people's roofs, Australia has the highest uptake of solar than any other country on our own roofs. But a lot of the problem comes down to the network. The network isn't capable of moving that, moving that energy around. Yeah. So these energy companies have got these community batteries which are being installed. They kind of look like a, like a box on the side of the street. Uh, and it's going to be taking during the daytime people's solar out of their roofs and putting it into this box to be used at night time it's super super exciting um and i think what what is letting us down is at a local government uh everyone's working towards serious net zero targets Mm, at a state government everyone's working working towards serious net zero targets the only people who are letting us down are the big dogs at the top is is the federal government yeah well i i feel like that's a good place to to leave it and also you've left us with a little bit of optimism i would say dan a little bit of optimism. You left me with a lot. Oh, it's great. Yeah, all you got to do, is, all we have to do is vote in three more climate independents <laughs> and then we'll have serious, then we'll take the fossil fuel donations out of parliament and we will um, we'll short circuit them, make a whole bunch of shareholders really angry like Jenna Reinhart. Yes. And then the people will be able to come back and own our own parliament and decide how we can actually make electricity yep. for so ourselves. And I'm going to call the Queensland government and see if I can get some carbon credits going on because <laughs> I didn't realise I could do that. You should. You absolutely can do. Sweet. <laughs> and what's more, Dave, you, you can get more carbon credits for planting more trees on your property as well. Well, do, do marijuana plants count? Because that would like yes. that would be a double bonus for me. <laughs> to be honest, I just I just want I just want the environment to go to shit because then all of a sudden my property becomes a waterfront property. <laughs> no, no, no. You will just be the shoreline of Vaucluse yeah. Island, as I said before. <laughs> but for how long, Michelle? <laughs> how, long? how long? Um, thanks for joining us. Are you in Scum Valley, Michelle? Is that where you are? <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> You know, that's not that's below the uh, tsunami line yeah. in Bondi, you realise that? <laughs> Don't tell everyone where I live. It's fun. Where are you, Ben Buckler? Oh, sorry. <laughs> Don't, now everyone's going to come stalk me. Um, <laughs> oh, people know where I live. I've had, I've had people take my photo through this you, window and tweet you at me. Literally, you literally live in a bunker. That's all I know. For the last two years, you've been in a bunker. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. We really appreciate your insights on climate. Climate change, keep fighting the good fight. You're doing really well. You're, do, you're, doing, you're taking one for the team. You're really going out there and you, you're creating change, and I think that's really important. I don't know if I'm creating change, yes. but what I will say is when 
at, at 9.45 last Thursday when Scott Morrison wasn't going to go to Glasgow, those billboards went up in New York City. And then by 2.45 he was. Look, could yep. have been me, could yep. have been the Queen. I don't know. <laughs> you know it, could have, it could have been Matt Keane or Dominic Perrottet saying you don't have to quarantine anymore. But, hey, we're all, we're all going to do our part. This is the whole thing, yep. Michelle and David, is we all have to use our power to affect change in the best way we use can. Use our power Thanks to change much, power. Yeah. Use our power to fuck those cunts. <laughs> <laughs>